It's the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. And welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Steve Italiano of the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. And uh, we're going to do part two with uh, Tom Grippo uh, growing up in Brooklyn and time after that. So welcome, Tom. Hey. Hi, Cuz. Hello, Milwaukee. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to be back. So it's nice to know you got a life big enough that we had to put it in two episodes, huh? Is that good? <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I got, I got my, uh, my lawyer, I got my agent, and we're going to start a book. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, my agent said uh, you have to, have to raise the price when we come on a second time. Um, from Sortino's, I'd like to have, now I'm going to have three Sfigadels, about a dozen cannolis, and three babas. Okay. And a babushka, like All you right. said. Well, we'll work that out. We'll work that out before <laughs> airtime, so. We'll, we'll see what we can get you. Um, okay. See if we can get a sponsorship from them. So, uh, <laughs> Ooh, hey, tell Barbara when she visits Gloriosa again, just drop my name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See what see what we can get there. So we'll get. You got uh, it. Anyway, buddy. So um, we left off the uh, uh, the first episode. Uh, we kind of covered growing up in Brooklyn, uh, living on Eighteenth Avenue. Um, we had uh, you're, you're reminiscing about about these guys. And so we had. Uh, so uh, we had those guys uh, down the street. They grew up on 18th Avenue, the Mystics. And yeah, the uh, two brothers, Cacalisi uh, uh, is the last. It was Al and I forget the other brother's name. Yeah, they lived on the corner. And I think I even sent pictures out to you guys where uh, uh, Johnny on a pony. Yep. Uh, and then the statue of the Indian with me, me and my buddy Butchie. Yep. Oh, that was you yeah. and Butchie in the picture with Mr. Yeah, Jacob Jacobs? Yeah, right with the short pants. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, um, and I got another picture I have to send you of Mrs. Jacob. It was Easter Sunday. This is when your dad, had, he came out this time because we had all our clothes. Easter Sunday was, we'd go to Robert Hall for clothes and shoes and stuff. And we'd all, well, we're like little gentlemen, little ladies. We were dressed up fine. And I got to send you that picture because we went right to Jacob's and I got a picture of, of my myself my friend and Evelyn, who was the hottie on the block. Ah. Uh, and we got Mrs. Jacob peering out the window of the store, which is a great little picture. But we always, you'll see, you'll see the statue of the Indian again the second time. Okay. Uh, this was before they stole it, and then we, we, we recovered it. Okay. I'll have to send that to you. Okay. And for anybody who follows us on Facebook, uh, you should have seen that picture. I haven't had a chance to post it on the uh, podcast webpage yet, but you should have seen it on Facebook uh, as long as you follow me. So so you lived on 18th Avenue uh, all the way through high school? Okay. Uh, Yeah, I graduated out of high school. Uh, I went to a trade school. I I think that's the only thing I regret in my life that I didn't because it was an all boys school at the time. 
Okay. And whereas going to a, a co-ed school, uh, you know, that's the only thing I kind of like regret in a sense, because dad always pushed on me, you know, you got to get your hands dirty, you got to get a job. So uh, how it came about, I wound up going to this, uh, the name of the school was William E. Grady Vocational High School. Years later, after I got out, I think maybe the year I was getting out, they finally made it a technical high school. And then they allowed, uh, in the late 70s maybe, they allowed females to come into the school to learn a trade. So my trade, because dad was a truck driver, and he says, you got to get a trade. So the first year, what you do is in the trade schools, you go to these exploratory shops. Okay, you got like, automotive, you got woodworking, you know, and you go in or you can peer through the window. And uh, I saw these these seniors in this class was called automatic heating. And they had these coveralls on, they had grease all over their face, grease on their hands. I says, hey, yeah, that would make my father happy. All right. So I went into automatic heating. And what it was, was working on oil burners. And you had uh, one year of uh, sheet metal, your little electricity. Then your second year, you would do all these electronic controls like uh, Honeywell has. And then you go into your senior year and you build a, uh, a, an oil burner with the combustion chamber and with the oil lines pumping in there. And uh, it, was, it was cool. But when I graduated, uh, a friend of mine who was in the class with me, who was a genius. This guy, you know the conduits that they use to sh put the wires through? Well, he made shapes and bends and everything. The kid is, was great. And our first job together, now you're talking, this is 1961 I graduated, uh, was $60 a week. We were doing cleanouts in the summertime, meaning you go to the, uh, the resident and you clean out the oil burner, you'll change the electrodes. It was great. Then as the season, as the year went on, me and Gene Palladino, uh, we would do industrial burners and how we would go down these basements and Gene was like, okay, don't touch anything. His mind was going. He knew where he was going to run the conduit. He drove me crazy. Then we go back to the shop where we worked and we would put these, all these instruments on the wall, on a board, and then we march them back into the the, the resident or the, wherever it was, a big building. Now, you have to understand, the theory that I learned in the school, by the time I got out, Honeywell had changed all these controls. So I only lasted. Uh, so I wasn't only there, and the boss wanted me to stay. I had, I'm going to go ahead a little bit. Eugene, who was maybe Gene Palladino, not only did he stay in the trade, the guy became a boilermaker. He he became a uh, steam fitter, making $100 an hour or whatever. He's got a mansion upstate New York someplace. But I didn't want to stay in it. So, okay, what about I I says, I, so me and my friend Tony, Tony Feist, my goomba, he said, uh, let's go in the Army. I says, well, I don't know. You, you, you want now I'm bouncing around. I'm working on Wall Street. I we we had nothing. We didn't know. Let's just, let's go. We'll push our draft. We pushed our draft up, and we were gonna go into the Marine Corps. Okay, but he says, "Don't tell my dad anything." 
you know, because he had a brother in, in, that was in Korea. So we're up on the trade station, going to Coney Island. Uh, that's where the uh, recruiters were. And who walks on the station? Mr. Feist. He sees us stage. He says, hey, what are you guys doing? I mean, like an idiot. I said, we're going to join the Marines. He says, no, you're not. So <laughs> we, get, we go on the other side of the tracks, and we go down to uh, where, the, where the draft board was, and we pushed up our draft. So now it's 1963, and here we are. We're going to Fort Dix. Uh, we're doing our training there. Uh, and I was told by the, the when we went to to the draft board, and you're talking to the guys, the soldiers, or whatever the sergeant they says, look, do good in your in your in your school. He says, and you go anywhere you want to go. It's all right. So we finish Fort Dix together, and we both go down to. Fort Gordon, uh, Georgia, was a signal corps. And that's what I learned. I learned how to type because I was going to do the, uh, the secret. I had a top secret clearance and you had to do perforations. You had, it looked like almost like the stock market and you would type in all the secret material. The only thing is, Tony coming from Brooklyn uh, slapped the cadre in the face. And the next thing I know is, I don't know where Anthony is. <laughs> And I says, you know, Anthony, this was what, what, what you know, said so Anthony, what the hell did you do? He says, I got to go see the sergeant major. And that was the last I've seen of him until six months later. I get a postcard. He's in Okinawa and he's in this <laughs> pole dancing. He's all these girls around him. I says, you in Okinawa? I They sent me to Fort Sill, Oklahoma in the middle of nothing. And then my other friends went to Germany. I had a guy went to La Paz, Bolivia. He was an American embassy. Only I got stuck in the States. And one other guy got stuck in uh, Texas. But he had his own place. He lived off of ice. And there I am uh, for a year and a half until my mother got sick. Here I am in a missile battalion and an artillery battalion at the same time. It's just, but I never, I, I, I never did the artillery. I never fired any. But I did go down to White Sands, New Mexico, to see the the missile that we fired. Uh, the the mother company was in Korea, actually. So we were like, all right, we were the schleppers. Uh, they're gonna leave us over here in case they need us. Yeah. Uh, I did volunteer to get out of Oklahoma. To it was called Operation Desert Strike. Now, what it was was uh, Army, Air Force, Navy. I uh, and uh, what they had, the exercise was like two weeks, but I was down there for four. Now, when you pull in, and I was in the, I was in the Mojave Desert, okay? And we were like armies. I mean, it was California. We were the uh, Arizonians, and the California were the Calizonians. We had fake money. You know, they, if you go into town and you start talking to the people, and if you tell them what you're doing, the MPs come and they lock you up. It's you, it's like a real war, okay? Okay. So the only thing I got out of this deal was uh, when we first landed, it's you're in the desert now, and the army put up these laundromats. They drilled wells and stuff. So being I was in like a little unit, uh, had barbed wire around it because we were crypto. You know, this this right. was my thing. Did I say crypto? Yeah. Well, it's seventy two seven two point three. It's it's more it's cold and stuff like that. So I decided, I went to the motor pool. My friend Guido came from Rhode Island. He was in the motor pool. I said to him, I need a Jeep and I need a backhoe. 
I dug a hole where we lit where we were working, and I got canvas, and I was selling soda and beer in my tent because I know it was a restricted area. Anybody had to come in, they had to do a password until the commander found out, and he got part of the deal. <laughs> now, now let me tell you, when we first landed here, there was no way I was I was sleeping in my sleeping bag. We had a three-quarter ton truck, and that's where I slept because we had guys getting bit in their sleeping bags uh, for snakes and stuff like that. I said, no way. The commander, he went out, and for five bucks, you can get one of those uh, cots, and you can sleep above the ground. So everybody was making a deal on it. Well, I, I was there for like four weeks, for one week of vet, one or two weeks of exercises, and they said, out of the exercise, you need ground air support. Give me a break. I mean, you're going to spend two weeks. Of course, you need ground air support. Now, let me tell you, I did get captured. It was a real thing. Here I am at night on our little Jeeps. We got blackout lights, and I had to deliver these secret messages. So the 101st Airborne land, landed, but nobody told them that, you know, hey, this is an exercise. Don't go too crazy. All I know is they got me, put my, they tied me up. They stood over me with the M1 rifles. Okay. I just, look, I just gave them my name, rank, and serial, and that was it. You know, and I got hit a few times, you know. I said, well, wait a minute, guys. Come on. And, you know, I'm telling I'm not telling you anything else. You probably know about more about me. So I got captured in the exercise, went back to my, uh, my base, and uh, that's when mom got sick. Okay, so mom got, I was 63, now I'm into 64, 1964, mom got sick. I come home on emergency leave. This is a, they already, she was in the hospital and the whole thing because she had the miscop, but it removed the cancer in her breast. Oh, but she lived, she lived quite a few years after that. So let me tell you what happens. I says, look, uh, maybe I can get a, a compassionate reassignment. It's what it's called. So I go to the uh, Knights of Columbus, and because I was a squire, Knights of Columbus had a baseball team, and I was a squire. That was the name of the team, squires. And I went to the coach there. The coach got me to a congressman. The congressman's got me to J Jacob Javits' office, and I spoke to the secretary. I said, "Look, I don't want to get. I don't want to leave the army. I, 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 I love the army. I mean, the food was good. I didn't have a problem. But I says, can I get a, a compassionate reassignment?" He said, all right, kid, don't worry about it. Uh, just get me the doctor's reports. Go see your priest. Tell me what you want. All right. He says, you go back to base. I go back to base, and it's like two weeks, and I don't hear anything. So I call uh, the secretary back up. He says, oh, we'll, we'll get you there, because what it takes is congressional action. Congressional action is when they go to your base, and the, the congressman calls up, and the general, the base, they got to talk. All right. All right. I do that. And next thing you know, Sergeant Mason's coming, calling me down. He, he says, what the hell did you do? He says, well, I know nothing. He says, I'm getting letters here from Congress that your mother's sick. Now nah, we're calling Fourth Army. And Fourth Army says, she, you got to go home. I said, I don't want to go home. They said, you got to clear post now. All right. I, I call my friend Guido up. I said, give me a Jeep. I got to clear post. But I don't clear post. I go into town. And I go drinking. And the next thing I know is I'm in my captain's office, two MPs standing beside me, and the captain's screaming, 
what the hell did you do? We can't make command of the month because you went out there and got drunk. And I said, well, wait a minute. I went out and have a few drinks. You were supposed to clear post. All right. So he's go see the sergeant major. Now, sergeant major, he's he's up here with me. He says, you're going to clear post, and it's going to take you an hour. I said, all right, give me the keys to the Jeep. He says, no, no, no Jeep for you. <laughs> he tells the two MPs, and I know the guys. So all right, all right, we'll, we'll clear post. And I said, I tell the guys, come on, let's go in town. We'll have a few drinks. He says, no. Now, I'm going to tell you this here. In the Army, you, uh, when you're, you're time to leave, uh, it's called a short time. It, it was a short timer's uh, map. It was a picture of a naked girl, okay? And what you would do is for the 100 days till you get out, if you were, if it was legit and you were getting out, I was getting out in an hour. So <laughs> you would fill in the blanks, like day number one, you're down two days, three days, until you, you know, well, you could figure out where the 100 days was. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> I filled it out in an hour and uh, I got out. I, I the thing, and right, you know, I think it was faith too, because I got out in 64. In 67 was the 67, 68 was the Ted offense. Now 68, yeah. Yeah. So basically I did put in to go to Vietnam. You know, we were just uh I would just say uh advisors back then. And and even on our base, we did have little Vietnamese guys, can I say little? I shouldn't say that, but they were little and they looked like they were generals. Meanwhile, they were PFCs, and that was another thing. I had it in with the bars where, uh, let me back up. Okay. The bars where I was, uh, there was a bunch of, there was three Indian brothers that owned it. And I always got thrown out of there because I wanted to have a date with, I wanted to take their daughter, their sister out. They wouldn't let me date the sister. So when these guys came on board, and at Fort Sill, they were learning artillery and the missile, whatever the heck they were doing. They put them, they put them in our, uh, an hour trust, let's say. So I went back to these guys that owned the bar. I says, hey, I says, they said, what do you want? I said, no, 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 easy. I got a deal. I'll bring these guys in. They're from Vietnam, and we got some guys from Germany in. I let them come in. They'll come to the bar. They'll they'll they'll, they'll socialize. And then you take care of them. And I says, hey, that's not bad. I said, look, there's there's not that many, but you know, you know, take care of them. And I says, by the way, can I have a date with you? Yes. At that, then I finally got the date with the sister after I have all, all these guys going and drinking in the bar. Okay, so I I get home, I get the discharge because Fort Bobby says, hey, uh, your mother's sick, you know, you 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 gotta go. I said, all right. So I go home, and now. Uh, at 64, 65, then uh, I get a job with the post office. Uh, yeah, the post office. I work part time with the post office. Uh, I first wife, you, 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 Gigi, and uh, I got married. And uh, then I had the three kids. And I started studying. Uh, I worked for the airlines, right? At the time, I worked for the airlines, but my father says, well, what are you going to do? He says, uh, this airline job, you're, you're in and out of the planes. So I started studying for the fire department because my two friends, we lived across the street from the fire department. We studied together. By the time the uh, <laughs> test came around, I missed it. They passed the test. And my father said, now what are you going to do? Look, 
Frank and Sally are firemen. What are you going to do? All right, so I took cops test. So that was, uh, I got married in 66. By 69, I was hired on the police department. Now, you got to understand, back then, you had to be 5'8". I tell this story because this is the truth. You had to be 5'8 at the time. So I was a little under, and they were very strict about that. If you went into the physical, they would check the, the bottom of your feet, make sure you got no lips on. He says, okay, I, I, I'm not that far off. So someone suggested to me, stretch, sleep on the floor, and then you'll be all right. As long as when you get up in the morning, don't get up too quick because your vertebrates will squeeze in. I said, all right. Well, how close so, were you? Were you five, seven and a half or? Well, I was I was even closer to five eight than that. Okay. But I knew I wasn't gonna make it. You know, I passed flying colors with the test. So here's what I do. The guys came, I'm sleeping on a I'm on a piece of plywood. They had a station wagon, they put me back in the station wagon. Now I'm laying in the back of the station wagon going to the site, uh <laughs> the test site. And I'm searching around in the back of the truck and I find this brush. So I turn it over and got the hard part. And uh, all right, bear with me, guys. In Milwaukee, here's what I did. Well, who's ever going to listen? I started knotting the top of my head. <laughs> I made if you today, if you run your fingers all over the top of my head, you'll see that bump there. Okay, we get there. They 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 tape me into the physical, but not all the way in. They get me up where I can get up out. Went right to the measuring thing. Bingo, five eight. Right on the nose. Why don't I know? Okay. <laughs> my feet each now, wait, no, it's I, I, I think it was four years later, they threw it out. You didn't have to be 5'8. You could be any any height you want to be. So I, I went through all that to please, you know, to please my dad because he's really not a fireman now. now I said, now I'm going to go, what do you want to be a cop for? All right. So there I stayed. Uh, that was 1969. Uh, and I did 20 and a half years. Uh, I got out. And uh, what what happened? Oh, did I? What happened is well, now, now uh, your time in the police force. Um, you retired as a sergeant, right? Right, okay. right. Here's why we station. God, that's we good. And uh, uh, and now were you were you and I mean you were NYPD, but no, here's, here's were you, they were split up in different like sections, yeah, right? Okay, we we they had merged early. I was with the Housing Authority Police Department. You had this transit police. You had housing police, then you had NYPD, all making the same salary. The transit guys, they would be in the subways. I was called for them. I said, yeah, I don't know if I want to ride the subways. I was called for corrections. I said, I know I didn't want that because I wanted a multi-list. And I says, oh, housing cop. All right, what's that about? We covered all the housing projects in New York City, the five boroughs. And it at the time, there wasn't that many. And you did a lot of vertical patrols. You worked by yourself. You're doing these high rises. Uh, you're going from the bottom to the stairwell, up to the top, to the roof, back down again. And most of the time, you worked by yourself. But we we were in. The, we had our own precinct set up. We had our own radios until they finally figured, hey, we better keep these guys in touch with the, the precinct. But we knew the precinct guys. We knew I, I'd go to the precinct sometimes and take out two radio. I'd take a radio out from the precinct and I had two radios. So my first assignment uh, was uh, Red Hook, 
where Grandpa Westwood of Bolts used to be coming. Uh, Brownsville area, I had a little area. They, they sent me to uh, Manhattan. And then finally, uh, they they assigned me to Cody Allen, which was great because I was living in Brooklyn. So I worked Cody Allen, the high rises, uh, until I made sergeant. Okay, so. Now working, was, working in those high rises, yeah. how tough were they? I mean, were they? Well. You, you know what? What did you have to contend with? What it was to see back then, uh, housing the way it was, you know, you nobody allowed on the grass. Now this is a different time, time and era. You, they would move when the cops, when they would see the cops, they would move. Uh, but you had to do the interior patrol. So in the seventies, it started to get a little bit with the, uh, with the drugs. Okay, okay. you had, and you had to walk up the steps. You had to do the vertical patrol. But I'm not, I'm not putting the projects down. People needed apartments, but you had to wait online. Now you got you to you wait on a list to get into the projects. The okay. thing was you worked alone most of the time. And uh, you're going to come into some projects where uh, it's sad because the kids, they would ride the top of the elevators. You know, I can tell you so many times the kids were stuck on, on top of you got killed in the elevator you had rooftops who were drugs everybody was shooting up so but still it was a great job and as they start as we started to become more involved and, and the drugs and the crime got worse they started adding more uh, police on for us so i started studying for the test uh and finally uh i passed it at the first test i failed only because the school was on a Monday night and it was Monday night football. So <laughs> whatever I learned. And then I see my buddies going, I said, all right. So I studied again. And uh, it, it's, at the time we had 4,500, I'm not trying to think, 35, 4,500 cops. I says, you know what? To get on these lists, the city lists, you got to understand, you got to score because you can die in a list. You know, right. you could, you could, uh, as the years go, they say, okay, let's start a new list. I uh, was number 99 on my list. And what had happened was there was, there was guys on there from an old list that they didn't kill and they made so. So that kind of like moved me up from 99. Maybe I moved up maybe 15 numbers, 20 numbers. So uh, in November of 69, uh, I was called into our little academy. Uh, it was, I tell you, I still miss the job. Uh, I, I loved it when I made Sergeant. It was great. Uh, you know, it, uh, did I see a lot of stuff? Yes, everybody does. I never brought it home uh, with the kids. The first thing with the gun, as they got old enough, I showed them the gun. I says, this is what the gun looks like. And I had, when I always put it away, uh, I had a, in my closet, I, I, uh, I sort a hole out, and I put my gun in in the hole in my closet, covered it, and I was in the safe. And my rounds, I kept someplace else. Oh. Well, that's that's what I did. But as far as the job, it was uh, to me. Uh, I, I I would have loved to have been a fireman, but the camaraderie. It was fantastic with the police department. So, so you, um, becoming a sergeant, then you, you're off the street. Then you're, you're, you're no, I mean, is it a no, desk sergeant, no, or are you just? No, no, I, okay, that's that's the other thing. My problem was I didn't want to 
be behind a desk. You did work the desk, okay, okay. Uh, you'd, you, once in a while, but I wanted to be out in the street. I wanted to be with the guys. And uh, uh, you, they used to drive you because when I made sergeant, I, had, I left Coney Island. They sent me to the Bronx. And now I'm paying a fare over the bridge to go to the Bronx. I says, I got a nice little raise here and I got to pay for the freaking bridge. Like, this is crazy. So I stayed in the Bronx a while. Uh, and I, whenever I worked midnights, uh, I was like a fly sergeant. Uh, that's what I would call, they call it. And I would leave the Bronx. If they needed a sergeant in Queens, I'd go to Queens. If they needed a sergeant in Lower Manhattan. So this is what I did and I enjoyed it. Because my last year I did this, I worked midnights on my on my last, last year. But I did wind up in Queens to finish my uh, my career out. Uh, I it was time to go. I didn't wait around because uh, the merge came. I think in 2002. I didn't want to wait that. I, I didn't. Why should I merge? Because Juliana, I think it was Juliana. They merged us uh, to make it all one department: transit, uh, housing, and NYPD. So basically, when you came on after the merge, you worked in housing. And or you worked in the tunnels. That's the way they did it. But for, for me, at my not, not so much my age, but the time I put in, I says, you know what? I'm happy. My salary, my pension's going to be good. And, and I had got, had I got out. And I says, what am I going to do? I the first thing I did is I bought a hot dog truck. So I came from a cop. I bought a hot dog truck. All right now you retired. So you, you were out. Uh, when did you retire? What was your I retired uh, July 2nd uh, in uh, 1990. 1990, okay. From 69 to 90, it was, uh, it was almost 20 and a half years. Okay. A little more than 20 and a half years. So I said, okay, I didn't want to get a job in, in security like some guys do. Some guys became private. I eventually did get my uh, private investigator's license. That was after I got rid of the, the hot dog truck. I had a hot dog truck. I had a nice spot. There was an, a movie house uh, in Long Island. And I didn't bother the movies, you know. I would park there in the daytime. And it was a great truck. I had a diamond-plated uh, uh, floor in the back. I had a coffee maker. And I'd make my own onions. I mean, in fact, my mother at the time would make the onions with me. And I'd bring it on the, on, on the truck with me. But you had to be... Uh, the board of health had to come into my house where I was making, make sure it was all clean what I'm doing. So that's what I did. I lost the spot because uh, the drive-in movie, uh, they wanted to put up homes by this drive-in movie. And I, I was my own worst enemy because I had guys coming over to the truck from the area. And then I had senior citizens coming over and I started a petition. You know, I says, hey, let's say you don't want you want to keep the driving movie because there's no more driving movies anyplace anymore. Right. So I was my own worst enemy. I had this petition up next day. Uh, a few then a while back, I see this car come in. Uh, Lee goes up to the office in in this in the driving, and then he drives out. And then the managers from the office came and I says, you know what? That's the owner. He don't want you here anymore. I says, I'm not bothering anybody. I clean up after I leave. I says, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pay him for me to be to go there. So I try to find another spot and I, I let it go. So now here I am. I don't have the truck anymore. I start driving the limo. I got my 
PI license. And I tell you, driving a limo, I drove the New York Jets. I drove uh, 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 Joe Namath. For like three years, I had Joe Namath. And I do other celebrities now and there, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the limo driving too, because I met so many people there. Uh, and back then, we didn't have uh, the cell phones. You had the little beepers. Right. And how I used to get my, how I, because I'm, I was so spoiled with the uh, MapQuest now on the phone and Google Maps. Right. When I leave my apartment here to go to the store, I don't want to get lost. I got to put my, I got to put the address <laughs> in. Really. I'll tell you one thing Barbara wanted to do with me when we were in Jersey. This is my wife, Barbara. She said she was going to take the cell phone away from me, drive me in the middle of our town, you know, go a couple of towns over, leave me in that town without a cell phone. <laughs> I said, that ain't that ain't happening. How we used to, we used to do it. I used to go on online, and uh, you know, print the maps out and take them with me. But after a while, I got to know my clients who they were. So that was a pretty good deal. So you, you had know, a pretty good, you had a pretty good uh, following. People would request you, or you yes. I, okay, here's the uh, here's another <laughs> I, the irony of this year. The guy that I worked for was a fireman. <laughs> he had these three or four limos and uh i started working with him and i says okay now here i am i'm working with and he had the firemen have it made let me tell you they got great jobs they're off so many days they sleep they eat in the firehouse they can get any job you want hit this guy mike mike i won't say his last name but mike used to work he worked for the jets he used to do their luggage in other words, whenever they played Philly, they drive the guys to Philly. If they were going to Buffalo, they, they drive to Buffalo. So he did all the, uh, the their their cargo, whatever they when they brought their equipment with them. He was the equipment manager. Okay. So he said, hey, you want to drive? Yeah, all right. So I I would drive these guys on a day off. Uh, then Joe Name was tops, great guy. Uh, he used to come in every once in a while to sign, uh, he, they take, I take him to low Manhattan. They had this loft there. He'd sign names on, 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 on his helmets, his t-shirts, wherever you wanted. But there's one thing he would do when I, every time I used to take him out, people knew who he was. They run over. He says, I got to put a name. He's got to put a name on it for these guys. In other words, hey, to Tommy, I got a plenty of stuff for me and my son. Right. Because what happens is if he doesn't put his name on it to, to, to the person, it's hard for them to sell it because nobody wants their name right. on it. They just want Joe Damon. So yeah. I, I did Joe Damon. I did Kenny Rogers one time. I did, uh, oh, my God, they were doing this, not the Sopranos. Oh, I can't remember now, but a couple of sportcasters I had. It was a great job. Yeah. And, and um, I don't know. Did you have a most I, memorable ride with somebody? Did you, uh, you got one that stands out? I don't know if I can share that one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let me, let's put it this way. A uh, 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 limo driver is like a uh, hairstylist or, 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 or a bartender, a priest. Uh, you pay him a couple of bucks, they'll tell you anything. Uh, <laughs> Or, or bartender, you know, which stays here, you know, I didn't think about stays, stays right. in it, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I had drove some people with big organizations where uh, I would have to bring congressmen in, and, you know, 
I would have to take him someplace, and you know, when they were making deals, but nothing really uh, stands out. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, let me tell you. One time, when I do the uh, Broadway jobs, drop the people off at the show, you got to hang around. So you really, there's no hardly any places to park. We always went down by the East River. We parked, and there was a spot that they were. Uh, Guys used to come up knocking on the window, selling all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you know, I tried all the drugs. So one guy came over and he had his watch. What do you call his watch with the black face? I forget the name of it. Oh, geez. It says a straight black face on it. Uh, Not not a Rolex. No, it's not a Rolex. Well, whatever it was, I says, I don't know. The guy wanted $100, $50. I says, hey, I got $15 here, take it. The watch had a serial number on it and everything. Thank God it wasn't stolen, but it had a serial number on it. It worked for about a year, but it looked fancy. What the heck are those watches? Well, whatever they were. But uh, any anything? Yeah, the only thing is when you're driving in the city, uh, if you go past, let's take Midtown Manhattan or Times Square area, if you're rolling and you're watching the stop signs, if you roll a little bit past the walk, people will spit on my car, bang on the windows, and and if you get stuck in a crosswalk, they have a they have a, a checkered square, because now I'm driving a limo and I got gonna get my ASN past the walk. I got a ticket, uh, two tickets I got because my ASN was sticking out. Driving a limo, a stretch limo, also down in Little Italy. You can in Chinatown. You you got to drop off your people and say you got to walk your block because I cannot. Be, I got they got pissed off me a few times because hey, I'm not going down a, chi, a chi, Chinatown or Little Italy if I can't swing the limo around. So I would drop them off, you know, a block away, and if some understood. Right. But other than that, um, it, it life was was good. I mean, here we are. The day of 9-11, I was uh, picking up people to drive them to uh, where the hotel was in where 9-11 was. Mm -hmm. And we hang out. I talked to the guys. I turned around. I said, no, it's early in the morning. I want to get over the bridge. I don't want to hit the traffic. Sure enough, by the time I got off the bridge, uh, the first plane hit. Now, what they had that time, they stopped all traffic except for liveries, which we were, uh, cabs, and and first responders. I, I remember that day because I was going to the airport picking up people uh, from uh, that had flights. And I remember this one particular couple I picked up, husband and wife, they had two sons that were in the buildings, uh, in one of the towers. But luckily... Uh, like a couple of months later, I picked them up and both of the sons got out. But I remember oh. that day distinctly. I, I mean, here, here's another thing, fate. I mean, I missed Vietnam. I missed the 9-11. And so God had been watching me. So if I was there, I would have stayed there. Probably hell, I was right under the hotel. I, I told the guys, I'm good, let's get out of here. I, I want to try, you know, I don't want to hit this traffic early in the morning like this year. I think the first play was what eight forty-five or nine ten yeah. or something. Like that. So, uh, but that's that's my life. Uh, uh, you know, 
I wound up uh, living in Illinois. I went to Illinois. The reason how I got there, uh, well, after I got divorced, I went to Illinois. Lived in Illinois for three years. Uh, oh, then I came back home, and then I did the tornadoes. I said, what am I going to do? I was, I was bored. So I had my little truck with me that I bought in uh, Illinois. You remember the truck? The, the, oh, yeah, the uh, Ford Sport Track. Yeah, the, right. the Explorer well, pickup truck. That, yeah, that's how I got to see all of the United States. Uh, starting off, I it was Katrina. I went to Joplin, Illinois, uh, uh, Ma Marsville. There was one in Indiana that I went to. So this and, you volunteered uh, with the Red Cross to? Uh... Well, I call up. Anybody, you know, I would call, it wasn't the Red Cross. This was, uh, oh, you just, I'm trying to take an organization because when I went to Joplin, Missouri, uh, <clears throat> I had a, I was staying at a church in, in, in Joplin, Missouri. I was like the church mouse. But I was there for four weeks uh, in, in Joplin, actually working four weeks. So was, uh, I go, I would, I was like a scrubber, meaning we would go to the homes that were demolished. We would pick up and try to find personal items. Uh, if you had, and then we had to separate the metal and and the wood. So this is what I did. I mean, I wasn't one of those like habitat, but I'm telling you that the, the volunteers that that came up there from all over, uh, and and the people. Who was coming when they were coming back to their homes? They were giving us water and drinking water. We ate, you, you ate good because we had all these people. We had some people come up from Louisiana, I remember, and they had a big tent. And I remember stopping in, and the guys were making jump a line. They ran out of chicken or what it was, and there was only a couple of places in Joplin where you could buy food. I take these guys in my car, uh, my, my truck, we went to get chicken. So, but I, when, the, all the tornadoes I went to, the, the 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 compassion of the volunteers and the people, how they they they, they when you went to their homes and you tried and you were helping them, so I wound up there for like four weeks. But I I would take off a week or two weeks. I would tell them, hey, I, I, it's they ain't going anywhere. The destruction's not going place. I drove from Joplin. I went down. I always wanted to find out what Texarkana was. What it is Texarkana is Arkansas and Texas together. And I went across the border. I went all the way down. I never been to the Gulf of Mexico. I remember driving all the way down to the Gulf. And I says, wait a minute, we, I'm gonna go to I went to New Orleans. I stayed in New Orleans. I came back. I went up to Waco. I did San Antonio. I did uh, Houston. And then I went back to work. So the next time I had the tornado, I did a little bit further. I went to like uh, Utah. I went to the Mall of America and I came back. So I got to see the states that I never, uh, uh, there's only one state I haven't been in and that's Alaska. I've been to every every state. So next time, I don't think I'll have a, a tornado in Alaska, but no, I no. Went to Alaska. But I, that's what I did. I, 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 I took my little truck and I just loaded it up with supplies and just took off. It was, it was freedom. And I said, this is such a beautiful thing that, uh, I mean, it was just, you know, people died. But I'm saying the compassion of the people when you go into these sites and, and you try to help them was phenomenal. And especially the church I was in. It was great. I, was, I had everything. 
I had my little food pantry. I had a shower because it was the middle of summer and uh, summer school was out. There was no classes or anything because they had a church. They did sermons and they had classes. And I had the whole thing myself. The, the one that was in Indiana, I call up and I said, okay, uh, you're going to be staying in this. Uh, I didn't know it was a school. It was a college. All I know is because it was at night and I, it's like a beautiful, it was a one room apartment. And I paid $10 because I was a volunteer. And a television, I had pillows. I just, man, this is great. So in the morning, I would get up and I had to cross a bridge from uh, uh, Kentucky to uh, Indiana, where I had to go on the borderline. I, and what I would do is I would bring food back with me because there was there was so much food. So I bring food back with me. I go back to my apartment, where it was supposed to be a beautiful place. And there's a there's a note on the door. Would you please see the dean? I says, what dean? I says, I went into a registration. I, what it is, it was the school <laughs> for Christian pastors. It was like like the Jimmy Waggons of the world. Okay. It's like, <laughs> okay. So they says, I go down and see the dean. They says, we made a mistake. You're supposed to be here. That's for the parents. We understand you're helping out, but uh, you're supposed to be here. I said, all right. So here I am. I'm in a I'm in a dorm with all these young guys, and they're coming, and I bring the food with me. It's all right. Let me put the food in a little room that they had there, and they're all coming to my my dorm. I got a nice little dorm now. I got a nice bed, and they say, Mr. Grippo, uh, are you going to be a pastor? I says, No, I don't think so. No, no, I'm here for the I'm doing the, the tornado up in Indiana. They says, Don't worry about it. I had clothes clean. I had my room clean because every time I bring food back for them. <laughs> so here I was living like a king with these guys. Until this day, there's a guy that got, he became a pastor and he, he's doing uh, uh, cry, he's doing streets uh, in, in New York for kids, for gangs and stuff like that. But here I was in this uh, gospel school, whatever, a Christian school and these guys are taking care of, they're washing my clothes. They're, yeah. they're, 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 anything I wanted, I got from these guys. So that was my life. Uh, and after that, then I got married a second time. I'm with Barbara and I'm living happily, happily ever after, except that I'm stuck here. Gas is $1.99. I just saw my place over here, $1.99. I can't go no place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Barbara paid a buck seventy nine last week when she filled up my truck for me because I, uh, I told you it was what yeah yours is down right dollar 99 here yeah so, it's uh it's 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 yeah it's a great time to go traveling the country by car and you can't travel the country by car but now you can't yeah. you can't go anywhere so we do i before i call addresses we, we got the susquehanna river we walk along the susquehanna river uh barbara uh <laughs> what is that social distance you're supposed to stay away yeah. from somebody yeah she's got a leash on me because oh, i'm seems... always in people's face when they talk and she's pulling me <laughs> doing the supermarket yeah, i'm talking to this guy and she's pulling me with the car she's got the cart and she swings around she pushes what are you doing she says two feet three feet stop talking to him like <laughs> we can't talk to nobody no more now my neighbor i gotta i gotta <laughs> i gotta stay three car lengths to talk to my neighbor yeah. he's right next door to me I says, no, Barbara wants me to, I can't talk to you. Sorry. 
I'm going to have to learn sign language. I says, well, <laughs> Morse code now. <laughs> but hey, as far as this, it's it'll if the crazies get out of this thing, then we'll be fine. But I, I try not to listen to social media, yeah. uh, the, the news. Uh, just, uh, just I, I don't know what to tell everybody. What I do is we, we're eating in, we're just cooking, we're finishing up, we're making soups now. Uh, we're watching where we go. When we walk along the waters, there's hardly anybody there. You know, if there are, I don't talk to nobody, which is hurry, how are you doing? Okay, goodbye. Watch your face and clean your hands. That's what I tell yeah. everybody. I don't talk to nobody. So we'll wait it out. We'll, we'll see. Uh, it's scary, but look, you got to have faith. You got to do the right thing, keep yourself healthy, and that's it. You know, right. uh, it'll go, it'll be over with. Boy, did I talk a lot. Oh. Well, that's fine. That's well, that's, that's what a podcast well, is. It's well, my hourly rate just went up with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to talk briefly. Just I want to double back a little bit to your time when you yeah. volunteered to do a tornado cleanup, yeah. um, in different places across the country because that was that was a tough year too. We had a lot of big tornadoes that year. I mean, Joplin was the biggest, I believe, right? But, well, at the time, and then Katrina. Bob did. Well, let me say, I bought that book, Diners, Dumps, uh, what's it, Faro. Oh, oh, Diners, yeah. Drive-Ins, and Dives. And I stopped in two places. Uh, it was a chicken place. It was a, uh, uh, a soup place. No, three places I stopped in. And I just followed, I had the book and I, I just stopped, which was great. And and I always wanted to do something like that. And if this, once this clears up, Barbara's never been, uh, uh, out west, uh, like Yellowstone Park or uh, Grand Canyon. Fargo. I went to Fargo. I went to Fargo. I wanted to watch Fargo. Okay. Uh, Mall of America, uh, Yellowstone Park, Custard, where Custard's last stand was. And I wanted to do, I was supposed to do with your dad. We want to go see the glaciers. That's up towards what, Montana or something like that? Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. That's the way to go. I mean, uh, I, unfortunately, I canceled my trip to Italy. I was going to go to Italy. So I, I, it, once this blows over, we're definitely going to, you know, get in a car and go someplace. Uh, but, yeah, the tornadoes, uh, you, you want to say a little bit more about that, but uh, well, it's just – go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, um, what I get from the way you talk about things is, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, I went to this tornado site and it was, uh, you know, the devastation and the death and the poor people. And uh, did you find it more, uh, you've always had a positive slant on things. I mean, the entire, my entire life growing up with cousin Tom and knowing cousin Tommy out in New York through my father, you've always had a positive slant on things. And... That seems, I mean, you have, would you say it was, even though it was a bad time, it was a good experience? I, the experience is meeting people, meeting people that are in dire need and how they, how resilient Americans can be. I'm sure you got resilient people all over the world, but in the United States, I mean, to build their homes back up, especially in Louisiana, building their homes back up and then having a flood come in, the, the walls break down, people, and they still want to stay because that's where they live and that's their community. They do, And we look at it and say, 
What are you crazy? Get the help. Look, this is their life. That's their community. That's where their families are. Uh, the compassion that they had, and 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 here I am. I don't know from these people. What they, I'm on my hands and knees. I'm, I'm, no matter what I found, no matter how small, or the color of book of a kid, it might be a, a tre it's a treasure. This is what we were looking for, you know, before that we let the family back in. And then the families would come back in and we'd stay, you know, a couple of days with them. We'd show them this is what we found. This is this is here. And they'd get their life back together. I've seen trailer trucks, uh, the front ends, stuck in trees. I've seen the hospital down in Joplin. They they didn't want to destroy it, but they had to destroy it because it was leaning. Uh, the day I met the father, uh, there was graduation, okay? And this this guy had bought this Jeep for his son and he was driving to the, the graduation and the tornado just took his son up in the air and dumped, you know. So I, I, I'm meeting people in the church who were, there who have, were rescued. There was, there was people working in one of the Verizon stores and they were buried in under the Verizon store, but they had signal. And people digging them out and try and, and finding how people, like I said, were survived this year. They were stuck on this stuff and they, they can't understand. They feel guilty that, hey, why, how come I'm still here? But yeah. meanwhile, the kid next door got taken up in the air somehow. Uh, and it, it, you, you can't get down with these people. You have to, you know, you don't, you, you know, you, you, until you get to know them. And then you're joking, you're laughing, and you know you're reading together, you're breaking bread together. But uh, and like with the church that I stayed in, we brought clothes. Food was coming in. We we had stockpiles of food that and anybody wouldn't turn anybody away. People would come in the little shopping bags, little old ladies. And so what I would do is, if I wasn't on a cleanup site, I'd stay in the church. You know, and give the people a break. You know, and 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 man, the food storage where people come in, because uh, you do have greedy people, uh, but you don't know if they're greedy or if they really need it. But people were looking out for one another and say, "There's a family that's going to come in. They're going to try to rip you." Up. So you have that, like you have it now in, mm -hmm. in this uh, the Corona thing. People are buying uh, tons of. Uh, disinfectant and then selling it you know so wherever it is uh th there's people are hurting there's always people that take advantage of the situation but i didn't see any of that i've seen tents with food people just uh coming from other states like the guys from uh they owned a, a paint company down there and uh they they brought all that all their stuff up and they made jambalaya you had uh uh Graham, Billy Graham was there with his wagon. Uh, the response of the people were, were un unbelievable. And, and it's something that uh, will stay with me for, for the rest of my life. You know, the, the friends that I've made and, and, and the people. Uh, so it's volunteering is, is fun. You know, I mean, I, I would never talk. You're asking me now, but I'm not going to. You know, some people like to do things and say, well, I did this and I did that. No, it was to me, I did. I got the truck and I went, what the heck's the big thing? I'll come back. You know, uh, that's the way I, I look at it. Right. Right. That's, uh, 
Um, well, the last thing I want to ask you. Okay. Is I, I had a brother-in-law who passed away. Um, my, my sister-in-law's ex-husband and his big thing was on your birthday. And I know it's not your birthday, but, um, he would always ask people for a words of wisdom. What words of wisdom do you have now that you're a year older? So what can you pass on to us? What words of wisdom can you give me? <laughs> well, okay. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think something my mother passed on to me. Uh, it's something in the frame of, hey, when you're talking to somebody and you're not getting through to them and you're trying to help somebody, I, I, I'm not, I, it was, she said something about put your tail between your legs and just walk away. But in, in, in reference to that, I, I would say uh, don't talk down to people, okay? If someone's in need, okay, Go with your gut feel and 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 and, and what's what's the words I'm trying to write? Uh, well, yeah, that's that's pretty good. I have to think about it because there's so many. Uh, when I go to life, it's like you don't know the other person what that person's day is. And I'm trying to be more and more now, especially now with Barbara now, because. Uh, when we drive now and I'll say, Oh, look at that person. I, what kind of pants has he got on? So it's, it's kind of ne negative. So I would say you never know what, what problems someone has. And if you could just do it without do being like a crazy, because she thinks I, I, I'm too much that way. In other words, I, I carry smileys with me. I have stickers and I, I'm the first one to give somebody a smiley. Okay. The thing is, you don't know what's you by giving that smiley. I can make maybe that person feel good now, you know. Sure. So, because uh, you never know somebody walking down the street, what's what's their problem? Right. And and if, if if you're guided by saying, hey, say the hello to this person, or saying hi, how you doing? Even if it's a stranger, you know. And that's kind of, but today that's kind of hard to do that. But mm -hmm. you'll know. You'll have that gut feeling. I I, I want to say, uh, if the spirit leads you to talk to somebody or to do something, uh, it's the spirit in you. It, it's God in us. Hey, you know, it's God-like. So my thing is, okay, you never know what's going on with that person in his life. If you can bring any kind of shed, any kind of light on that person, whether you know it or not, just go. It, that's the gut feeling that you have. It's the spirit in you, and if you feel you you feel good about it, you know. Because I've, I've been going through this thing. I I go to church now, and, and I'm listening to great sermons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I it, my life is uh, more. I guess as the older I get, the more compassionate and the more. I, you have that feeling for the world, like this, what's going on today? It's going to get over. I'm not going to panic. Now you got the doomsday people out there. It's the end of the world. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Hey, put on the brakes. Go one day at a time. And it means so much going one day at a time. And if you happen to make next morning, thank somebody. Whoever your God is, thank him for making you get up and enjoying this day. And how can you pass this on? Show the love. You, to somebody, okay. and uh, 
it's kind of hard doing it now. You have to be 10 feet away from somebody. So <laughs> maybe maybe I'll just get some big Valentines with hearts and just give it to people. Uh, so if that kind of answers a little bit, Steve, about me, then so be it. And uh, it, it's, it's, this is a lot of hurt out there uh, in the world. And I've seen a lot of hurt, maybe because of the job. I mean, right. there's a lot of things that I had to do I, that, did, did I do the right thing? But you, you you're guided. Yeah, you know, I'm a, you know, you, you have rules and regulations. And uh, I know one good thing came out of the, the job too. I delivered two babies, and that's I didn't. I don't know why I left that out. But the first baby I delivered, okay, uh, I was a rookie. My partner was six months, uh, six months on the job. He was a rookie too, but. He didn't act like he was a rookie because when I went in the room and I says, what do I do? He says, you got a kid. What do you mean I got a kid? You only got six months. <laughs> so now here I am. I got, uh, it was it was a black family and I knew them because I had just locked this girl's boyfriend up and she was having a baby. And it, it, it was like a, a movie scene because everybody's, and it's a Pentecostal family. And they run, they run the bed. Hallelujah! They praise the Lord. And I'm saying, okay, remember the pictures you see in the academy. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, as far as me, when I see a woman, even up to my age, I get sympathy pains. <laughs> I get sympathy. But when, when I, my kids were born, I was, I, had, I, my, my belly was. I see a pregnant woman, like forget about it. Even a poor lassie when she was giving birth, I was getting, oh my God, the pain in there. Well, here I am. They're around the bed. And this young girl, uh, she, she she had a, a, a one leg that was a little bit crooked or something. Well, anyway, there I am. And I said, okay. I said, go get some towels, heat up the water, whatever you got to do. I didn't even have a chance to any of that stuff. Here I am. Now, the baby's coming. And I'm saying, push. Okay, just push, because that's what they tell you to do. And she's screaming and yelling. And the baby gets stuck in the shoulders. He said, okay. And just before it was coming out fully, the EMT comes in. Now, the kid on the EMTD, this is his first one. Well, he was so good to me. He upchucked all over the freaking baby. <laughs> and, uh, one down, take him out of here. I, I got the baby down. I got the shoulders. I got the butt in my hand. And the EMT comes over. He says, okay, turn the baby around. I turn the baby around. And and the girl says, I want to count the, to count the toes for her. So what we had to do is, Cut the umbilical cord. I says, okay, wait a minute. Now, I don't know about that. So he did it. We tied the knot. And, and you have to, all right, I don't want anybody to be squeezed out. You had to save the afterbirth, and it goes with the mom. Mm -hmm. Now, here's this kid. He comes out of jail. I locked him up with something. It was a small little thing. I locked him up. He came out. And when he came out, I went over there. I says, hey, you got a baby daughter. You got a beautiful daughter there now. You need a job. Here's what we're going to do. I'm getting off today. What I want you to do is meet me by the, by the precinct house. And I took him down to this, uh, it was like a giant supermarket. And I got him a job. I mean, I, I really don't like saying this, but because then I, I'm not bolstering myself, I'm not, I'm mm -hmm. great. But I got him a job. Now, as a kid today, you know, if, before I left the job, because this was early as I was a rookie, 
he had like three kids. He had a nice job. And uh, that's uh, my second one was uh, in the back of the car, the radio car. And but the third one, I took credit because I was holding the hand on the gurney. So, and what, <laughs> the, what, what the police, what you did then, what the police department, they on your badge, they'd give you a stalk with a cop hat on it, and you could you could put it on your bed on your uh, uh, where you have your medals and stuff. Okay. So I got my baby stalk. Now let me tell you this here: after seeing this birth, right, all this afterbirth coming out, now. <laughs> My back, I'm sweating. Now I'm standing up, and we go outside, and the radio's crackling. They say, "Okay, good job." I says, "Yeah, it's a baby girl," and I hear the guys in the background and on the radio saying, "Okay, we're gonna go for Chinese food tonight." Now wait a minute. Now to this day, I cannot, I cannot eat lobster, kung fu, whatever, whatever they call that stuff. Lobster Cantonese. Forget about it. Whoa. And I eat anything, Steve. I'll eat anything, but I won't eat lobster Cantonese anymore. Right. <laughs> that's what it did for me. You know what I see? You know what? It's a beautiful. It's it's a miracle. It's now when you see this baby come out, where it's coming from? How is it possible that I'm glad I was born a male? There's no way I can do that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was my. Uh, my first baby on the on the job too. So, but I do something happens to me when I see a pregnant woman. It's like still to this day. To this yes, to this day. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I had all to do when my wife was pregnant. I says, "Oh my God, what am I gonna do?" I mean, you know, but you got to understand that you know when you know I, I, when I used to see even animals giving birth. I said, "Oh my God!" I mean, you ever see a giraffe give birth? Complunk, this thing just drops down to 15 feet. Boom, down on the floor. Get out of here. Give me a break. I don't want to watch it. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Tom, I won't keep you tied up any longer here. Uh, we've already run over a little bit of an hour here, and I know it's getting late on the East Coast, so I don't want you to miss I, your bedtime. Okay, my agent will send this. Uh, send a bill. So, yeah, uh, send, a, send, send the request through. That's fine. I really hope this is going to end soon because I want to get out. I hope it's time Festa comes. You know, I want to get out there. I want to see you guys. I want to see my cousins. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and I want to go see my grandson, who I can't see. He's up. He's up. He's up in Massachusetts. And you know, my younger daughter says, "Dad, we're holding off on everything." I says, "Okay, fine." So I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime. We're going to be making our little, uh, we just finished making, uh, for tonight, we made uh, lentils and uh, we had uh, broccoli spears and stuff. We're freezing that stuff. So we're staying home. We're not fighting. We're doing, you know, I don't know people say, you know, this this whole thing about staying with your spouse. Well, hey, hey, if you love the person, it's, it's okay. It'll be fine. Just do what you got to do. And, Try not to stay, get crazy on social media with everything. I mean, there are a few little jokes going out there, but after a while, the jokes just subside because people are, uh, you know, passing away. But, you know, it's like all the other flus. People pass away. Just keep yourself healthy. Uh, uh, don't listen to the crazies that said, well, if you take this here, this will help you eat this, eat that. No, no. Just do what you got to do. And just have faith in the Lord and we'll be fine. 
we'll be fine. And then don't stand too close to anybody. <laughs> All right. And last thing I want you to do is uh, you need to plug uh, Tommy Jr.'s restaurant. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's uh, Tom's got it in Park in uh, Long Island, and it's fresh. Uh, it's Fresco Crepery and Grill. And he's doing deliveries now. He's doing. You can pick up at the store. He'll he'll drive it to your house. I'll get the address over to you. But it's in Wilson Park, and it's called Fresco's Creperies and Grill. And uh, he's made a few since he took over in April. He's made a few new dishes uh, with the crepes. Uh, and he's doing the deliveries now because we thought for a while that Como's was going to shut down all the restaurants, but as long as they're they can do delivery and they can do pickup. So he was a little worried about that. Right. And he's posting it all. You can go to on uh, Facebook. Okay. Just well, to, that's what I just pulled up here. So it's yeah. Fresco's Crepery and Cafe, 72 right. Hillside Avenue, Williston Park, New York. New York, right, which is Long Island. Uh, Long Island, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Long Island. And uh, he's even got a few videos up, and he's got his uh, menus up. Uh because I called them today as soon as I heard what Cuomo was going to do something, but apparently uh, the essentials, he's he, he's got a list of the essentials places to stay and open. Okay. Uh, because he couldn't shut the restaurants down because he's keeping the the, the beer and the wine spirit places open. So it didn't right. make sense. Okay. You know? uh, so that's it. Yeah, thanks a lot. We've got a little plug for, for Tom. Yeah. And uh, I'll try to, you know, I'll share this here as soon as you, you, you get it all broadcasted okay. and, and done. And Milwaukee people, you got a good guy here in Steve. So, you know, tell your friends and push the button and share. And uh, maybe I'll see you guys again. All maybe right. we'll do a, uh, we'll do, uh, we'll do a, we'll do it in person next time. We'll do it in person, right? Okay. And so. I don't have to stand twenty feet away from you, but yeah, <laughs> in person, close enough that we can shake hands. And uh, and and God bless you, Steve. Uh, yeah. In you this li- in this week that's coming up with you, just uh, wait it out. You know everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Hey, you know Barbara's still there, and it, it'll it'll work. Oh no! It's It'll all come out. It all comes out in the end. It always does. So. And I'll talk to the POTUS, and maybe POTUS. I'll tell him to put an extra couple hundred in the check he's going to send you. Yeah, let's hope that happens. <laughs> all right, hang hang on for a second while we say goodbye. Okay. Okay, I will. This has been the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast, brought to you by Testaduro Media LLC. You can reach us by email at listenupmke at yahoo.com or through our website, listenupmke.podbean.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at listenupmke. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a positive review on both Apple iTunes and the Google Play Store. Opening and closing music is courtesy of John C. and taken from his album Shine, available where music is sold.